I went back in the locker room and Marty Morgan, who I love, we're good friends now. He's my coach at the time, just ripped me apart. Like he's just basically like, there's no more excuses. You know, you got to grow up. Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with another episode. My guest today is the heir to the Thorne wrestling dynasty, Mike Thorne, the eldest of the three Thorne boys who combined won 11 Minnesota. That's 11 Minnesota state championships. Just incredible. Mike was a two-time All-American for the Gophers. And in this conversation, we talk about some pretty cool stories about Marty Morgan, J-Rob, and just some of those national championship teams from the early 2000s. Fan of the Week goes to Cody Goodwin. Cody's a sports writer for the Des Moines Register and is an avid listener to the show. So thanks for tuning in, Cody. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review or rating on iTunes. If you're on the Apple Podcast app, all you do is scroll to the bottom of the screen and you'll see the section for the star rating. You may also like the episode we did with Jared Lawrence, and that's episode 41. So if this one tickles your fancy, give that one a listen after this. That's it, folks. Let's get to the interview with Mike Thorne. All right, folks, we're here with Mike Thorne of the Thorne Wrestling Dynasty. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Absolutely. Now, I think we... We got to get it out in the open. 11 state championships between you and your brothers. And I know your dad was a wrestler as well. So where did all this start for you? So our the Thorn Roots come actually from Iowa. So both of my parents are from Iowa. Um, my dad was a two-time state runner-up at Algona High School. And then he went to Iowa State. So our roots come from Iowa, which... I guess that's probably the case with a lot of people. I mean, that's kind of, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people that trace their roots back to Iowa that, that are involved in wrestling, right? Absolutely. And one I did not know, Rob Cole, the head coach of Cornell, his dad was a two-time or three-time national champ at UNI. So even even the Cornell guys are tracing back to Iowa. It's, it's a small world that way. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's like the mecca of wrestling in this country and, um, and it's funny because they, they don't have a great population, right? But it's just the culture down there. And so I don't think my grandpa wrestled, but my dad 
um, was always serious about it. He got recruited to Iowa State and had a scholarship. And um, he actually, some one of his state finals losses was to, to Greg Randall. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Remember, he was the coach at Boise State forever. Yeah, he was a four-time state champ. He was really, I mean, one, obviously really good. I don't think he ever won it for Iowa, but he got second a couple times. So your dad was in that, he was at Iowa State in the 80s then? Yeah, so he his last year was 85. Okay, yep. got it. And I think Iowa State won it, what was it, 89? 87, they won. 87, okay. Yeah, yep, so they, um, so Jim Givens took over in 86, and then uh, his second year they won, which stopped a streak of 10. So so your dad was in the thick of it, man, and then when you were growing up, was it a situation where you just wanted to wrestle, or how'd you get into it? Um, Let's see here. So there was the High Flyer Wrestling Club, which... The guy who recruited my dad up for business, um, his kids were heavily involved in that club, the Fredericks boys. I don't know if you – Ty Fredericks is a four-time state champ from Minnesota. Um, don't remember and, that name. Yeah, if you're from Minnesota, you'd know him, but he, he, he didn't he, – he ended up being getting stuck behind Chad Erickson at, at the Gophers mm-hmm. lineup. Um, but if you're from Minnesota, you'd know that family. But, um, yeah, so my dad got recruited up by – old man Fredericks and he was kind of running the high flyer wrestling clubs. My dad was helping out there. Um, they just in like a coaching capacity. And I think I just kind of started tagging along and going to practice and, um, yeah. Rest is history. Into it. First, <laughs> first couple of years was just mostly practice. Like my kindergarten year, I wrestled like two matches first grade, and I remember all this stuff like most wrestlers, but first grade I, I wrestled like 15 matches. I was eight and seven. And then I started really kind of getting, I guess, more competitive in like second grade. Dude, it's funny you say that. A guy you uh, probably battled with, Jimmy Kennedy from Illinois, he says the same thing, man. Like he could remember his first grade record and like no other sport do people <laughs> remember these things like that. Like, I got second at regionals in first grade and they're like, dude, who, who the hell cares? <laughs> But it's wrestling. And he, was, just... he was the man. Too. Oh my I mean, god! So, so that was kind of my. Well, we, Jimmy and I are the same age, so that was like when I was coming up through youth, like going to Tulsa Nationals, um, Northern Plains, all that sort of stuff. It was kind of like Jimmy Kennedy was the standard. Um, he, he won every tournament, and and actually, my dad and his dad kind of connected, and through wrestling, and I I went to. So my dad drove me to Chicago one year, dropped me off at his house, at Jimmy's house. And then Jimmy's dad drove us out to Jordan camp. Um, no way. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember what age, maybe like sixth, seventh grade, something like that. Um, and it was like Jimmy, myself, Mike Benefield, and one other stud. I can't remember his name. He was a super stud in high school, but I don't think he – I can't remember if he wrestled in college. Um, From Illinois? And. It, yeah, from Illinois. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of Jimmy and his couple buddies, and then I kind of. Okay. My dad kind of worked me into the, <laughs> into the thing, and we went out to Jordan Camp together. Dude, maybe it was the Spangler family. I'm not sure, but they, um, dude, those are that's like my generation there. So yeah, you're exactly right. Benefield, what a stud. A lot of people in Illinois say he was the best Illinois wrestler in like a ten year span. There, um, he was really, really. Yeah, good. I remember how pissed J. Rob was when he didn't get him. Jay really wanted Mikey. Wow. He, like, really, really wanted him. Had him out, and I don't remember why. I mean, what did he go? He went to Okie State. And yeah. Then, 
Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to Carson this morning, just kind of getting getting any additional background I could on you. And we were like, dude, why do Illinois kids not pan out in D1 to the level that Ohio and PA does? Because in Illinois high school, they dominate Fargo every year. And, yep. you know, Carson said maybe it's because it's a takedown-oriented state, which that makes sense why a lot of Illinois guys go to Oklahoma State, though. It seems like that kind of, you take them down, let them up is, is, is the Illinois way. But I don't know, man. It's just kind of frustrating to see because we all... A lot of culture. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of culture in, like, Pennsylvania and Ohio. I mean, that's like... And in Illinois, too. I mean, I always struggled with Illinois kids in high school and, and youth. And I struggle with New Jersey kids, too. And, but, I mean, there's a great history in, in Pennsylvania. I think what one of the things is they've had... You know, I talked to, like, Ethan Lezak and his dad. And they just have so many D1 schools that have guys that then go on to, to work with kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. which is like uh ethan got trained i think it was by john trench when he was a kid yeah Lee you know so guy. you're just getting yeah. the best right that's so true and now with all these academies i think there should be some more parity but i mean obviously pa and ohio are going to dominate but i mean you got pinnacle up where you're at your brother's running a camp i mean there's so many academies now which is a great thing but man back when you were in high school they really didn't have that to that level no, and it's probably worked to my advantage <laughs> because uh, I I had really really good coaches. I mean that's the one thing I just I, I asked my dad now because I got a son that's wrestling and I ask him you know for advice from time to time, and he he said one of the things that was really important to him is he never wanted us to have a bad coach, so he just was really careful about who we worked with. But I mean the list of guys that I got trained by is just ridiculous, and it wasn't like. Now, now the difference would have been it wasn't like I got these guys every day like these club kids do when they go onto a club. I just got little bits and pieces of them. But I mean, I, at the High Flyer Club, which is just a you know you pay a hundred bucks and it's a freestyle club. I, I had like Marty Morgan and Brandon Paulson and um, Gordy Morgan and Brandon Agum and Chad Erickson, um, just to name a few of like those are the guys coaching us. Wow. Man, that's incredible. And and so like when you know, when did it click for you where you said I want to be a division 1 national champ or all American because your dad drops you off in Illinois. That's a pretty big commitment then to go all the way out there. Yep. So like when yep. when did it click for you? Oh, let's see. So I was I've basically always been a huge fan of NCAA wrestling. We when I was like in 6th grade, I think is when we started going. And actually, I'd been to every single NCAA tournament until last year was the first one I missed um, because we had uh, youth state, youth stuff going on. So I was a big fan of NCAA wrestling, and I'd say going to that Jordan camp was a big deal. That was, that was a big deal for me and my brother, uh, my buddy Joe Gergalco, who would go with me. Uh, he was a high school, uh, high school buddy from St. Michael, and that that was a big deal. That was like a separator. I think that, that really helped me kind of start to separate from kids, I think in Minnesota. Um, but as far as like being an NCAA champion, I didn't think about being an NCAA all American or champion. It, it was just different back then. I mean, it was like, I mean, I didn't make the decision to go D one until like August of my going into my senior year of high school. So I know, I know it's crazy now with these kids that are like committing Ryan, like 
I mean, what ages are these kids committing now? It's, it's really early, right? The verbal commits is sophomore year in high school or junior year in high school. I think it's just lunacy because it's, it's unfair to the kids, man. Because think about how much your life you changes when you have a, a new girlfriend or a different group of friends in high school, yeah. let alone your college, you know? I mean, I had no clue at sophomore. No clue. No. <laughs> I wanted to be a state champ. I knew that. <laughs> yep. You know? And were you like super, uh, just like super disciplined and intense about it all the time, or would you kind of balance it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I worked hard. I think um, I, I was very competitive. Like winning was really, really, really important. It always has been. Like winning is important. Um, I was also a big fan of wrestling. So like I could talk about wrestling all day if I was with the right people. So <laughs> yeah. I grew up with like, you know, Zach Sanders was another friend of mine. We could, we would go to NCAAs and we could talk about wrestling. This is Overberg brothers. We used to do like the fantasy wrestling stuff at NCAAs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a big fan as much as I like to compete myself. I probably like to watch NCAA wrestling just as much. I could totally relate to that. Cause I was the same way I could, I knew more about like the college stuff going on than my high school coaches. And I didn't go to a powerhouse, but I loved watching and being a fan of it. Um, now looking back, probably to a fault because I knew more about the guys I was wrestling than I did the technique sometimes. I was just completely obsessed with like the fandom of it, so to speak. So I, I totally get that. That's kind of how I was too. Yeah. And I still am not, I mean, I like technique. I have to, I coach, just I volunteer coach or whatever, but I'm not like my brother David. Like David can get deep in the weeds on technique and Technique is like, okay, you know, what do I need to know to do a few things, but I don't need to know everything. I right. just, it doesn't get me as excited as, as watching good wrestling. And I can watch really good matches. You know, like I can watch um, Yanni and Zane and, and just get caught up in the match and enjoying it so much I, I forget, like, even what they did to score sometimes. <laughs> Dude, I, I feel the same way, and I sometimes I have to rewind it because I'm watching it, and I'm like, wait, what did he do there? And then I'm like, okay, yeah, hit a, whatever, a, a pass by or a, you know, a single off the elbow, whatever. But I'm not as into it as, like, Mike Mal and those guys who are breaking on the technique. I love that they're doing that, but I was, to your point, more just about the matchups and, and the fandom of it. So it's c- good to know that someone who dominated like you did was also thinking that way. Yeah, that's just, that's just and that's how I'm still wired. I, I was talking to Chad Erickson a while back, and he told me that he watched, every, I think this was two years ago, he watched every single match at Worlds. You know, he's a coach. The technique's important. Oh he watched God. every damn match at Worlds and broke them down. You know, that's what... But the, those guys are club coaches, so they're, in a, they're just in a different position than I'm in. <laughs> but it's good to know there's crazies like that out there because I was staying up for the Worlds, and my girlfriend, who's not a wrestler, she knows nothing about wrestling, and she thought I was literally insane. And <laughs> But I, I didn't watch every match, so I'd watch the good matches, and then maybe I'd take a 30-minute nap and then watch Sitikoff, you know, but... There's a level of uh, there's levels to everything, man, and, and wrestling brings it out of people. Now, yeah. So you you watched NCAA wrestling. You told me you did um, when you were a kid. It was harder to have access back then. But that's one thing. Like I never had a great interest in international wrestling. It just it, there was really very. I mean, as little access as there was to NCAA wrestling. I mean, there was less for international. So it, it was like magazines. So I really mm-hmm. never grew up thinking or knowing a whole lot about world and Olympic stuff kind of crazy enough it it was and like you you really couldn't put it in perspective you, you always heard the stat that John Smith had won six in a row and you're like 
all right, but what does that even mean? And now you look at it, you're like, holy shit, that's incredible. Um, but you also have to take into consideration that back at that time, the Soviet Union was one country, and you didn't have to wrestle four guys from Dagestan in a row, like Burroughs did this year. Sure. So there's there's all these levels of it. And like I didn't even know about Dagestan or Osseti until like a year ago, which is insane to think about now because that's the capital of wrestling. You know, like when it, when how old were you when you first heard about it? I remember watching the in college, watching the flow highlight of Russian nationals. That's the first time I ever thought about Russia. Do you remember that highlight they put out? I do, because they started following that, and then they start putting out shirts in like Russian language, and I was like, oh, this is pretty big. Like They're going over there, and I just thought, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course Russia has a national, just like we have the U.S. Open, but I, I didn't even think about it until that time. That was, that was the first time I thought about it, and, and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like, what are these guys doing? <laughs> right, right. Uh, what, what is this technique, you know? Like, what, how, how do they do these things? Well, I think it was also during the bad era of wrestling where freestyle was the ball drop and it was kind of weird and it just, it wasn't a good time and we weren't that good at international wrestling at that time either. So like, I think that's, that probably went into it. Did you wrestle a lot of freestyle in high school? Oh yeah. I started with freestyle actually. Oh, you so did? Okay. I wrestled two years of freestyle before I even did folk style. Um, what? The, the, the high flyers wrestling club was a freestyle club. So wow. I did a couple couple years of freestyle first and then got going on folk style so did you like go to fargo and did you have like pretty good years there when you were on the national radar or were you coming into college under the radar a little bit i think that's what helped me as fargo but i took fifth my junior year in junior freestyle and wow. it was a brutal bracket it was just absolutely brutal it was 119 franklin gomez won it um he was on the opposite side like i said i got fifth i lost to ross jatomer and Brad Pataki mm-hmm. on my side, um, and ended up wrestling. I think so. I wrestled Raleigh Peterton. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say his name for fifth and sixth. I beat Raleigh for fifth and sixth. Jimmy and um, Montel Marion wrestled for seventh and eighth. Um, like I, I tech fall Kyle Rochelle in like a third round. Some kid, from, I think he's from Kentucky. You know, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And of course, he went on to be a, just a hammer. But at the time, he was just another guy in the in the bracket, and and there's probably a bunch of other guys. Oh, um, but sure. that was that was a big deal for me. That's when I started getting mostly. And that's, what is that July? Probably that's. Yeah. And I, I said, like I said, I started thinking about D ones in August. Really thinking about it is when I started getting phone calls from from coaches after that. And, and J Rob came out to my house. He was going to come either way because I'm from Minnesota, and we had actually already kind of set up a visit. Um, but I guess after I placed in Fargo, he, he kind of started getting more competition to get me mm-hmm. uh, to Minnesota. So were you, would you ever consider another school besides the U, or were you kind of always going there? Um, I, so I grew up, you have to understand, like, as a kid growing up in Minnesota, everyone wants to wrestle for the Gophers. That's just how it always was. Um, but there's only one D1 program, so... And they were the best program back then, really, mm-hmm. in the country. It was like them and Okie State. Um, this is before Brands was at Iowa. This is before Kale was at Penn State. And this is before Tom Ryan was at Ohio State. So it was Minnesota and Oklahoma State. Um, and those are the two best programs. So I was already a huge fan, knew a lot of those guys, which ultimately that was the factor that kind of was the tipping point is that I knew – 
many guys on the team. But I also took some other visits. I wasn't hugely recruited. Um, I took a couple ex- couple other visits, and I really liked I really liked Northern Illinois. Dave Grant recruited me there, mm-hmm. so I took a visit there. I really really liked those guys. Um, I think just the tipping point was I just I knew so many of the, the athletes on the team at U of M. I knew some of the coaches, Brandon Agum, um, Marty Morgan. Mm-hmm. You know, literally coached me as a kid. So, and then everyone wanted to go to, I mean, that's just, that's how it was back then. Every kid wanted to wrestle for the Gophers if you're from Minnesota. I think that's something where I didn't realize how big University of Minnesota was to Minnesota people until I started going up there a lot for work. I'd go up to uh, St. Paul and um, Minneapolis, which those are two completely different cities, which I had no idea. But uh, I'd go up there a lot for work the past two years, and you just kind of get the sense that, oh, the University of Minnesota is like Iowa and Iowa. There's nothing else going on, and even more so than Iowa because there's no Iowa State, right? So it's like that is everything. And um, see, plus they just have badass colors. I love those colors. <laughs> and <laughs> and so you get there, and you know, to your point, Minnesota in the early 2000s really started putting the beat down on Iowa and the rest of the rest of the schools. They won two or three in a row at 10 All-Americans and just dominant and yeah, at that time, Jay Robinson must have been like a legend in the state of Minnesota. Yeah, and it took him a long time to get there because he started in like 85. Mm-hmm. So, and Jay's impatient. So you could imagine it took him over 15 years to win a national title. And he was really close a couple times. Like one of the stories he always talks about is, I think it was at maybe 99 when they lost like one point to Iowa. Um it, it was one of those years leading up to 2001, but but then they finally in 2001 had the 10 All Americans won it, and then they won it in 2002, and then we won it, and I was on the team when we won it in 2007. Oh, um, so they won again? I didn't realize that. Okay. 2001, 2002, and 2007. Okay, that's right. So that was and, like and Ryder, I think Ryder, Jason Nash, Slater. Th- that was a team right there, man. Yeah, so they got they had like the number one recruiting class, you know. Mac, uh, CP, Roger Kish. I'm going to leave a few people out, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just out, out of memory. But yeah, so like I was, I actually wrestled for part of that year because Mac tore his knee in like early. I mean, which is crazy that he came back, but he tore his knee in like September. So it was like the end of September. He tore his ACL. He was the starter that year at 133. He was projected. Manny Rivera is the projected starter at 141. I was projected to redshirt, but my plan coming in was to really redshirt for my first year and then be a backup for one more year because Manny and Mac were going to be a senior, or they were juniors going to be seniors the next year. So I went into Jay's office. I'm like, hey, you know, Mac tore his knee. He's out not till back to the end. I'm like, I'll, why don't you put me in this, you know, to start the season, and then I'll and Mac can finish it up um, because then I'll get some experience and I'll redshirt next year. And that's what I ended up doing. So, um, Oh wow. Okay. So that's, that's pretty cool that you did that because I mean, it just shows that the good programs have a team atmosphere where guys want to step up. So was that like a hard decision for you to make? It was easy because I knew I'd be a backup the next year either way. Um, I mean, I was wrestling those guys in the room every day. So I knew where I was at compared to them. Um, and I knew I wasn't going to beat them. So it really wasn't a hard decision. I, it sucked. I had a losing record, <laughs> yeah. so it was really tough. Um, that was back then. Again, it, 
there were very few true fresh, freshmen having success back then. It was kind of like Dustin Schlater was one. Um, you know, Kellen Russell was one, but there were very few guys back then having having a lot of success. So it was brutal because I I was undefeated the year before in folk style. I was forty nine and zero, and then I had a losing record my first year in college. Yeah, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of humbleness, and I'm sure there were a lot of moments where Sunday afternoon after the duel or Saturday night after the duel, you're sitting there and kind of reflecting and. You know, I had to imagine some self-doubt crept in, but you know, what, what was that like for you? I mean, did you have those experiences where you're like, man, is this right for me? Or were you for sure. steadfast yeah, the whole torture. way through? No, it was torture. I was not steadfast. It was torture. I, um, yeah, I, I, I really wasn't having a lot of success even in the room either. So I wasn't having success in the room. I wasn't having success in competition. I really don't know what got me through that. <laughs> I just guess I... I didn't ever really, I never thought about quitting or anything. I just, it wasn't like I knew I was going to be an All-American three years later either. Yeah. I mean, what do you think was one of the the lower points? Like, do you remember a match in particular where you were like, dude, this is just too much. I got to, I got to regroup here. Well, I remember wrestling at home against Penn State and I was wrestling Jake Strayer. So Jake, I think, I'm pretty sure that was the name. Jake Strayer was the number two ranked guy. I know he was the number two ranked guy. I think his name was Jake Strayer from Penn State. Really tough. All-American. And I was at the end of the first period, and this is kind of towards the end of the season when Mac was just getting ready to come back. And um, I was tied with him 2-2 at the end of the first. He took me down right at the end of the first period. I got a reversal. So it's 2-2. Two two. And... I really should have been in the match. Like I, I just felt the way I, you know, when you grab a hold of a guy, you just sometimes you can feel that <laughs> you're in the match, and sometimes you're outmatched. And that yeah. one, I was in the match, and the end of the, the score ended up being something not close, like seven two, eight three, or something like that. And and I went back in the locker room, and Marty Morgan, who I love, we're, we're good friends now. He's my coach at the time. Just ripped me apart, like. He's just basically like, there's no more excuses. You know, you got to grow up kind of thing. Um, you signed up for this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yep. Like, you're a starter in the University of Minnesota, the number one team in the country. There's no excuses. And, and it, I totally, that did click for me. And I did respect that. And I understood that. It's just like, it doesn't matter where you're at, what you came from. If you step into that lineup, you're expected to win. It's just the way it is. So I don't know if that was a low point, but it was definitely a memory of that year of like, I got to get it together. I got to get, I got to get better. Absolutely. No, that's, that's, that's exactly what I was looking at. Is it, was there some defining moment? Because a lot of people talk about that. And I think it's just interesting to see that because from an outsider's perspective, like me, I think, oh yeah, the Thorne family from Minnesota, they've always won a yep. bunch yep. of times, all Americans, but I didn't really know that story about your freshman year that you were planning on redshirting then stepped in the lineup right away, which I mean, that's, that just shows how competitive you were, though. You wanted to go right in there. Um, and so, at that moment, did you have any more chances to wrestle that year? Or was that pretty much it? And you kind of sat on that for the next you know, 16 months till you got back in there as a uh, redshirt sophomore. Yeah, so I got, to, I got to do the freestyle stuff in the spring. Yep. Um, and that was good. I, I think I took, like, seventh at the Fila Juniors tournament, um, which now is UWW, mm-hmm. I think. 
Um, mm-hmm. but at the time, it was called Sela Juniors. And then, you know, I went, so this was a big deal back then. Is I went, I went and worked J-Rob camps. And that's when I really, I guess, it, I really started to develop a lot of good skills that helped me in college. Because I was always very offensive. I had good attacks. Um, a lot of that Jordan technique that I went, I went to that camp every single summer. I had a lot of that Jordan skill set, which was Dustin Schlater's skill set. I mean, I had a lot of that stuff. But there's different things in college that you need. And one of them is the bottom position. So I basically spent that summer and then the next summer. And I, I, I went from not really being able to escape legs to I was like, I became basically a master of, of getting out of legs. And I developed that at Jay's camps just because you I mean, you're on the mat for 10 hours a day, you know. So I, I mean, I think I was the best basically wrestler in the country of escaping legs so much so that I'd throw legs like I would step over and I'd, I would step a leg in and force a guy into a leg, you know? I mean, my senior year of college, I pinned two guys of legs at the NCAA tournament. So (laughs) that's, that's the epitome of what sports does though, is that you, you find a weakness in your game you self-reflect on it and you identify it. That's like, I think that's the first step. Can you even identify where your flaws are and where you need to improve? So you had that self-awareness. And then he said, you know, screw this. I'm going to get better at it. And you went down a rat hole of it so much to the point where that was now the best thing you did. And I think that is the beautiful thing about sports, man. That's what it was. I, I couldn't get out of legs. I spent so much time on it. I became the best. And it's a weird position because here's the thing about leggers and I'll give you, give you, you know, there's younger athletes listening. This is a tip. Leggers, guys that ride legs, no matter what, they always go back to it. They have to, it's just like their home base. So I li- I mean, I'll not to embarrass them, but I wrestled Todd Shivern. Do you remember Todd? Uh-uh. He took sixth the year I took third. Okay. We were the same age. He was, I think he was the senior national champ. Like we're the same. I think he was the senior. He's from California, but leggers always go back to legs. He threw a leg right on me, my junior year NCAA tournament. And I pinned him out of it. Like I rolled into his back what? and pinned him. I got to go back and watch these matches. Cause I can't even imagine someone pinning someone from being underneath with the legs in. I can't even see it. Yeah, I did it, I did it twice. I and know. Then, I, that's what you said. I'm finals. like, what the hell is he talking about? But well, to this guy. So I, I did it in the, so my junior year in the round of 16, Todd threw the legs on me and I pinned him. Senior year in the quarterfinals the NCAA tournament, I went out, got a takedown. He got away right away. He got a takedown. We went out of bounds, went back to center, he threw a leg, and I pinned him. So it's just Love it. he had every reason not to, you know, but just leggers always go. It's their home base. They always go back to legs. They just they do. And then, I, and then same thing with Jimmy Kennedy. We wrestled to go for either third or fifth, and – he was, like I said, I brought up earlier and when I was talking to you, you're, sometimes you grab a hold of a guy and you're like, I'm in this match. I grabbed a hold of Jimmy and I was like, how am I going to beat him? And he just <laughs> blasted me. <laughs> and this is, you know, I was the number two seed and he was like the number five seed. And so I is just, this your junior year at Nationals or what year is this? This is senior year. Yeah. At the National Tournament, all on the line. And you grab him and the Russellbacks are in the championship round. So the match to go for third or fifth, what is that, the Constellation yeah. Semis? Yeah. I had been beaten by Boris. 
Jimmy had been beaten by Montel Marion in a really crazy match. Um, and we were both in the wrestlebacks. And then I grabbed a hold of him and I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to beat him? Um, <laughs> he blasted me over in a high C, like took me down like a, like a child. <laughs> but then again, he just, I don't know if they don't scout or whatever, but he threw a leg on me and I pinned him. Wow. So that was my thing, you know? Man, and that, that all came from, you know, it may be a stretch to trace it back here, but I'm going to do it to that conversation you had with Marty Morgan where you kind of had a gut check moment. And so you decide that's what a champion is. They decide to, to move forward there. And you did that. Um, so man, talk about a little bit, just the J Rob camps, because those I'm not in the circles anymore of the youth wrestling. I don't know if they're still the premier camp. I'm sure they are, but they were so popular when I was a kid, people were terrified of these things. I mean, what could just describe Probably that. for good reason. Yeah. Ooh, there's torture. So did basically. you do them as a kid? No. I did the like the fun ones. He he also did like some just like week long, like a five you know, day something. Yeah, like commuter type stuff. Or I mean, we actually probably stayed at the dorms too, but it was just fun. I mean, the intensive camp is a whole different thing. It's basically, well, what's a day in the life? Similar. Like? Well, you wake up. These kids wake up at like, I think their first run is at six forty five. Go for a morning run, and the counselors do everything with the kids basically, not to the level that they have to do because we're not doing as much of the drilling and live wrestling, but we have to be at all the practices. So I was a counselor. Kids would wake up, I don't know, 6.20, and they got to be at, in line at 6.45 for a run. Go for a run, come back, have breakfast, 9 a.m., whatever it is, technique. Come back, have lunch. Afternoon, they do their live wrestling. Come back, have dinner. At night, they do either another run or a lift or sometimes – they get some technique depending on what Jay had, but it's 28 days of that. 28 days. And then Jared uh, was talking about the scoring system and you have to line up. I didn't realize it was that military, military base. And I know Jay is, you know, uh, a military guy who was a captain in the army, but he took that and applied it to the camp. He did. Yep. Wow. Yeah, he did. He'd bring out Navy SEALs to talk to the kids, which was really cool. Jay always loved the Navy SEALs. Um, very much military, very much. I mean, it's, it's true. He says it'll change your life. It will. I mean, there's no way it won't because a lot of these kids are going from, they're not always the superstar kids that go to these camps. They're, no, they can be, some of them are, but not a lot of them. And they're just, they're going from Jay would always say, you know, everyone has a definition of hard work. I have a different definition of hard work. And that's just true. And that was the same thing when I went to Minnesota. I mean, I had a definition of what hard work was and Jay had a definition and I had to figure out how to rise to that that standard. And then that, and that's what I really respect Jay for is he's brutally honest. He had an extremely high standard and he, and I think the most important thing is he'd tell you the scope of what it would take to get to that standard, which is, it sounds obvious as a coach, but it's, it's a lot easier said than done because you're going to hurt a lot of people's feelings in that process. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If he tells you you're not there and you're not doing enough, that's not a pleasant conversation, right? <laughs> he doesn't seem like a guy who's going to mince words either. No. No, he's not. And and that's why, I mean, anyone that would listen to this that wrestled for Jay would know at one point or another they probably were pissed at him. Because, sure. and I know I was at times, it's just it's hard to hear that you're not where you need to be. And But he's honest, and, and those who listened to him and did what he said, 
probably got the results they wanted and a lot of people didn't, you know, or they'd transfer or just kind of, you know, not right. listen to them. And it's not for everyone, right? No, I mean, what are some of the life principles you take away when someone mentions Jay Robinson or, or Minnesota wrestling? What are a couple of things that come to mind? So I would, and this is for anyone in business, I would read, I would suggest reading Jeff Bezos' letter to the shareholders, the Amazon shareholders for 2017. Um, when I read that, Ryan, it was like I w- was reading about the University of Minnesota, and I'm sure like a, oh, the other college programs that are doing good. It's just <laughs> culture is such a big deal mm. that, you know, like I just, as my son, if he keeps getting better wrestling and wants to go wrestle somewhere, I mean, I will look at the schools and where the culture is at. I think that you put someone into a high-level culture, high-standard culture, and that's what Jeff Bezos argues in the letter is that they'll rise to that occasion. Yeah. And the same thing will be on the downside. If you put someone in a low standard culture, it will be very hard for them not to go down to that standard. Because it's not like I got to college and was like, hey, I want to go um, work out twice a day every day because that's what it takes. I didn't know that. It's just that's what Jay had in place, and that's what I did. So... The culture was a big deal, and, and Jay being honest about the scope of what it would take to to get to the level that I wanted to get to. Wow, that's I will definitely read that. Fascinated by Jeff Bezos, obviously, and and what they've done. Um, you, you read up stories about him where he was like a trader in New York in the early '90s, and he was like looking at the numbers of like this internet traffic and whatever that internet thing was, and like the traffic was just going up and up. Like exponentially, like three thousand percent year over year in like ninety two, ninety three, and then he drives across the country to to Washington, quits his job where he's probably making a half million dollars a year as a trader, starts a online book company, <laughs> and um, you know, next thing you know, it's it's one of the great great uh, companies of all time. So I'll, I will read that. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. Uh, um, and then you know, one thing you mentioned about the culture that jumped in my mind was, and. A lot of people now might not know, but Jay was a head assistant for Gable for several years, almost 10 years, um, I think in like the mid-70s through 84, 85, somewhere in there. And, you know, that is to me the definition of bringing guys in and raising them to that standard because you think you had Gable, you had Jay Robb who went to Oklahoma State and was an Olympian on the Greco team in 80, I believe, uh, no, but before that. And then you had Mark Johnson who was also – an Olympian. So you had all these guys in there from different schools that raised the level and then people came in and just got better, even if they weren't that good in, in high school. And so that's interesting to hear that he can, that's what you think of when you think of Jay Robinson is that same thing. Did he ever talk about his time at Iowa with Gable? Yeah. And it always pissed us off because we're like, screw those guys. You know, I don't want to hear about, you know, how great it was in Iowa. <laughs> so, cause we were, he would just, he would talk about Gable, like, you just, the words will never do it justice is basically what he'd say, is you just don't know what it's like to feel that type of person coming at you. And it's funny, because he, you know, he, Kale was a big deal back then as an athlete, and then kind of coming into as a coach, and Brandon, I remember Brandon and Jay always arguing about 
not always. Sometimes they they would when it would come up, they'd argue about Kale versus Gable, and Jay would give Egum nothing because Egum was like Kale's the greatest of all time as an athlete, right? And Jay would he would never budge. He's just like you just don't get it what it was like wrestling Dan Gable, and you'll never get it because you you haven't felt it, kind of thing. So it was it was entertaining to watch those two kind of. Argue. <laughs> cool to hear that he had that level of respect for him still after the the split at Iowa because sometimes you read about it you don't know really what the uh, what the temperature is on those two but obviously they've been through the trenches together and created one of the great dynasties of all time and then Jay did the same thing yeah. in Minnesota which is so and Jay cool. and Jay Ryan he he I can't like understate this enough he always had great assistants and he was really smart that way like Marty Morgan Joe Russell Brandon Agum Luke Beck were some of my coaches. Uh, Mark Schwab. So it wasn't just Jay, but Jay was the leader, and he he um, he set the high standard, and he always had great assistance. And um, you know, it's and it's like I think now the state of Minnesota is really aware of how special it was back then because of how hard it is to win now with mm. Penn State and Ohio State. But look at what Jay did, and and say. Who could go out and repeat that right now? Who could go to a low, mid to low tier Big Ten wrestling program and turn it into a dynasty? I'm hoping maybe Chris Bono at Wisconsin. I love what those guys stand for. But to your point, it only happens once every 15 years. Kale did it at Penn State. Tom Ryan did it but at he Ohio didn't, State. But he, did, but he didn't do it at Iowa State. No, exactly. Because you're not the dominant team in that state. There's only one... To me, there's no, there can only be one program in the state that's getting the good guys, and Iowa got him over Iowa State, no matter who the coach was. Sure. You know? It's hard. Brands didn't do it at Virginia Tech. Nope. You know, Terry didn't do it at Tennessee. So it's, it's, it's really, really rare. Um, I think what Jay did is, is – now, Minnesota was a great place because it was like an untapped like the only school in the state, but Minnesota wrestling is the Gophers. They were not very good when no. they took over. No, they had to be you know, the first be comparable to like a. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it'd be comparable to like, you, I mean, I think maybe Wisconsin now, I don't, I don't even think, I think they're a lot better than Minnesota was back then. I mean, like a Purdue or an Indiana. Right. Um, like low, low level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and think about who's done it. Gable did it at Iowa. Iowa had never won before Gable in any sport. Um, he did it. Jay did it at uh, Minnesota. Tom Ryan did it at Ohio State. Kale did it at Penn State. But, I mean, we're mentioning – oh, you, you got to mention Rob Cole at Cornell. Cor- I mean, Cornell was oh, yeah. so low. Now they are perennial top five. They've had a national finalist for 11 years in a row. Um, but it's rare, and these are the great coaches of all time. And, obviously, you got to work with one in Jay Robinson. I got to work with both of them. I, I coached with Rob Cole for a year too. Oh, you did. Yep. What's that story? You know, I, uh, just after college, I went out and lived in New York for a year, and I was the like the RTC coach. So me and Corey Manson, who was an athlete there, um, you know, do you know how they do it at Cornell with like redshirting? Are you familiar with that? I know that. Uh, no. So I mean, I have, think I have an idea, but hit me with it. Well, they can't redshirt. Right. Because there is no such thing as a redshirt for Ivy League, mm-hmm. I guess. So what they do is they will often defer enrollment for a year and go to a community college. And then they just become a part of the club out there. And I was the, like, so my job, along with Corey, was to be the coach for these freshmen. So, like, I coached Nation Garrett for a year. That was, like, one of our guys. Um, 
he was deferring enrollment from Cornell for a year to basically redshirt and go to this community college. And, and they can't do all the things with the team because they're not a part of the team, so they do stuff with the club. That's why they have to have a kind of a different coach. And that's before the RTCs became big money machines, right? I mean, or, or, or was that at the time when you were there? Well, I call it. I just called it an RTC. I don't know exactly what it's called or what it was. Is that the five basically, lakes thing? Yeah, the Finger Lakes. Yeah, Finger so it was lakes, just a, basically yeah. a group of like eight kid, eight freshmen that should be freshmen that defer enrollment. It's just basically their freshman class. They go to community college and they get together and they work out and they hire someone like me to kind of keep those guys in line and give them advice and help them train just like they would if they were freshmen but they can't really be coached. Like Mike Gray was kind of me and Corey's counterpart, but he was an actual coach on the yeah. varsity team. Did you get to wrestle Dave all to... when you were out there? Yeah, yep. What's that What's that experience like, man? I mean, obviously he's the man, but what was unique about that just from your memory? You, you can't get away from him. I mean, I could not get an escape. So as good as I was at the leg stuff that I talked about earlier, there was no escaping Kyle Dake from bottom. <laughs> he just couldn't. It was just impossible. So I, he would beat me um, every time we wrestled. I could take him down, but there was no – and when I say I could take him down, I'm not saying, like, go even with him. I'm saying I could get a takedown sometimes. Yeah. Um, but there was no escaping him from bottom. You just, you just don't get away from him. Dude. So. Well, I just – when I was getting ready for this, I looked through the brackets. 2010, your junior year, that bracket's loaded. Kyle Dake, Montel Marion, Reese Humphrey, yourself, Connor Beebe. I mean, a lot of guys in there that, I mean, you look at now, unbelievable. And then the weight below it at 133, you had two Olympians, Dan Dennis, Frank Gomez, Tyler Graff, Borsh Navashkov. It's like, holy shit, man. That, those, were the, those were the brackets back then. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, I mean, it's in those, it'll be, we'll look back 10 years from now and it'll be the same type of same thing. thing guys. Now. Guys yeah. that go on, some, I mean, there'll be guys like me. I, I, when I was done, Ryan, I was done. Last match was my last match. And then there'll be guys that will chase the Olympic dreams and stuff. And I just, that, that wasn't for me. But, um, Did you have any I really that you wanted to or no? No, no. It's like I said, I was never really a, I never grew up being a huge fan of international wrestling. or It was never really a dream of mine. Um, when I was done, I was happy to be done. I always wanted to be NCAA and, um, I really love now watching the guys that I competed with in both. I like, I like, I like, I like watching them in freestyle and I like watching them in UFC. It's a lot of fun. Dude, I love, I um, love what the UFC's done. Um, it's, it's amazing to see all those wrestlers go in there. And I know we set this for right now. We're coming up on time. Um, but I, two things I wanted to ask about that we haven't got to yet. The first was, sure. You didn't just do this by yourself. You had a pack of brothers, and like I said, together you've all won 11 national titles. So how far apart are you and David? I guess just the first thing. Yeah, so 11 state titles, right? Yeah. So um, David, it, when I was a senior in high school, he was a freshman. Okay, got it. And same thing in college. So I got to wrestle with him one year in high school. I got to wrestle with him one year in varsity in college, and also he redshirted one year. So. So what was that experience like going through it with him? Was it stressful? Was it more fun? It was fun? huge. Oh, yeah, it made it more fun. We were great drill partners. We figured out from a young age we're not meant to live wrestle each other. <laughs> <laughs> so we never, ever, 
live wrestled ever. Never once in college. We drilled most days, I would say. Um, David is like one of those guys who, if you need a warm up partner, like a drill partner, he is as slick as they come. So everyone was fighting to drill with him. Like Zach Sanders would always get pissed off when I take David. Because <laughs> <laughs> Zach was the 125 pounder and he oh, would yeah. be like, well, who am I going to drill with then? You know? So, because everyone was fighting over David, everyone wanted to warm up with him, which is funny because if, if you wrestled, you always, we all know like there's guys that you drill with that are great wrestlers and they cannot drill. They suck at it. They fight everything, even oh. though they're great. They're just not great drill partners. You know what I mean? So annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, David was three years younger than me. Tommy was eight. So Tommy and I didn't spend a ton of time together um, because when I went to college, he was 10 years old. Right, right. And one of the things I'm fascinated about is, yeah, I don't have kids yet, but, you know, in the next five years, yeah, I would think I I would, and I know you have a kid, and, like, how Mm -hmm. did your dad get you guys excited about wrestling but not burn you out to the point where you didn't want to do it? Um, I don't think he was worried about burning us out. I mean, if he was, he would have done things differently. (laughs) Oh, really? Was Was he a tough driver? Yeah, I mean, we did everything, you know, no different. Well, maybe to a little bit lesser degree, like he brought up Jimmy Kennedy. Like, he, w- he would go to every national tournament. We'd go to a few, but we, he pushed hard. We pushed hard. It was important to us, and I'm kind of doing the same thing with my son. I mean, we went to Tulsa Nationals last year um, for Hell the first yeah. time. I'm going to take, take him to Tulsa again this year, maybe even preseason, which I don't want to make that drive twice to Tulsa, but we might do it. <laughs> so... I don't know. I don't know, Ryan. I don't think he was worried about burning us out. That's funny you, know, you say that. That tells me everything you know right there. He was he was pushing hard, man. <laughs> yep. I love it, man. Yeah, that's right. Did you guys have a wrestling room at the house? Oh, yeah, of course. Dude, I can't imagine. What percentage what of the guys you interviewed you think had a wrestling mat at their house? I just think it's like it's like everybody. It's probably 100%. Yeah. Um, wow, that's incredible. And he's now running the Thorn Camps, and... Dude, I, I texted you about this. You guys got a facility, or he has a facility out there, and one of the things on the website is, hey, come out here to this camp. There's no distractions. And I'm like, what are they talking about? I Google Odin, Minnesota. I don't even know if that's a town. That might be a village out there. <laughs> it's a village. It's got like a bank and like a like a little tiny, like I wouldn't call it a grocery store, like a market. Um, but it's it's on my grandpa's farm. So that's the backstory. My grandpa's okay. passed away now. Um, David bought his farm, the 10 acres. The farmland's not in the family anymore, but the, the 10 acres is. Yeah, It's on a farm, and we got a lot of respect for the Jordans. So we went to that camp every single year. And they have the model down. David, i got to be careful with my words here. I'm not going to say copied or replicated, but <laughs> he... he, he, um, he It's a model that works, and... It's low cost because they sleep on the mats. It's no distractions because your cell phone probably doesn't work down there. Um, there's nothing to do but wrestle and drill. And David's like one of the ultimate technicians. So he gets like over 500 kids that come through each summer. Wow. Does he do it in the winter too? Like weekend camps? Nope. Okay. Uh, maybe a little bit. He's, he's a summer camp guy though. That's his thing. Okay. He does, he does some stuff in the fall and the winter just like here and there, but his his bread and butter is, is the camps. Yeah. Wow. And that's that's the thing is that was before like the academies where you do the year-round club. 
the Jordan State Champ Camp, again, kind of before the flow and, and the internet really got popular, like no one kind of heard about it, but you never really knew what it was. And then I always saw that logo on the knee pad, like the lowercase J, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that kid's going to be badass. <laughs> Just because he had the gear, you know, from the Jordan yeah. Camp. Um, Brian, he had, he had great technique, and also what he'd do is he'd just load these camps up. So you talked about, like, brackets, NCAA brackets. I mean, though, that was Jordan camp. I mean, all those guys were at that camp just wow. going at it for five days. I mean, it's, it was, like, tougher than nationals because you'd wrestle ten matches a night against, it would be Jimmy Kennedy, it would be Lance Palmer, Mike Gray, um, TJ Siebel, Justin Kerber, um, Mikey Benefil is there. I'm, I, Dude, Siebel, oh, my God, that kid. Whew. Stunned. Yeah. He was tough. Yeah. Wow, man. That's. And that's, he was just one of the 20 or 30. I mean, it was just like it was all TJ Seabolt at right. that camp. Wow. So it, it was it was great. That was a big, it had a big impact on my life. I mean, there's no doubt that camp, um, that camp was a big deal for me. So it's, you know, now I'm, I'm taking all these things I've learned and I just, I'm a volunteer coach back in my hometown. I coach sixth grade wrestling. Okay. Sixth, fifth, fourth, third. Our team's really, really good. In Minnesota, it's not club-based. When you compete, it's town-based. You have to actually live in the town hmm. that you wrestle in. We took second in state last year. It's a big deal. We lost to Northfield. Um, they, I think we had one of the best teams in the country, and they had a really good team. And this is so, just and, a and, town, right? It's not like kids from the, across the town coming. You have to live in that area. You have to go to the school. So like, in my town, Ryan, like, it's my, so just in my neighborhood, it's me, my brother David, and Jake Deichler. Oh, yeah. Corey Lyon. Oh, yeah. You probably don't remember Tori. He was a national champ in high school before he got cancer. That's just those are guys that live in my neighborhood. Jake Deicher lives in my neighborhood. He's got was Deicher the Olympian who was like eighteen in Greco. Deicher was the Olympian when he was eighteen, and the reason, if you don't know him, the only reason you wouldn't know him is because he got so many concussions he couldn't wrestle in college. Really, got it. Okay, he 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 wrestled Kyle Dake in a match where he literally didn't train all fall because of concussions. They brought him out for one tournament. He. Lost to Dake. It's on flow. It's a great match. Really close. And then he went and beat Andrew Alton. And that was his career in college. Wow. I remember in Iowa City when he made that team, everyone's like, who the hell is this kid? It was unbelievable because I was a friend of Jake's growing up. So you talk about inspiration. You watch one of your buddies make the Olympics. And you're just like, what What do I have for an excuse? You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. but he lives in our, so he lives in our neighborhood. C.P. Schlater lives in St. Michael. And this is just a little town of like twenty thousand. Um, C.P. Schlater lives there. Uh, Joe Gergelka, I mentioned my buddy. Uh, Chris Veek, he's an All-American at Central Michigan. He lives what? in St. Michael. John Duncombe wrestled for the Gophers. Um, Dude, don't go to know, an old timers tournament in St. Michael. Put it that way. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And the McKee brothers, you know, the McKee brothers just graduated from St. Michael. Now they're at the Gophers. Jake Aller, Lucas Jeskies at Augsburg. He was the OW um, last year for D3s. Damn. So it's, wrestling's a, that's a the cool place about where I live is like wrestling's a big deal. My son thinks that, you know how like everyone plays football as yeah. a kid growing up? Like he thinks that's what wrestling is. He just I love thinks, that. yeah, every, everyone does it. That's just what everyone does, you know. Uh, wow. So we're really lucky that way. Well, the, the last thing I'll ask as we sign off here is, you know, as you think about wrestling and what it's done for you as a person, mm-hmm. I know now you're a financial advisor and you're a you know hard-charging 
you know, in the business world, so to speak, how have you kind of applied the lessons from Jay and everything that you've learned into what you're doing now as a parent and as a financial advisor? Yeah, so I think you talked about weaknesses turning into strengths. Like, that it can't be understated as working on your weaknesses and turning them into strengths. I, I saw what Rob did at Cornell where it was, you know, you didn't want to be a coach at an Ivy League school because it was always – well, they can't win a national championship. They really can't even have All-Americans. They just, you know, they'll try to do their best. And he turned that around into a strength and, like said, I can find 10 kids each year who care enough to be a national champion but also care that much about school. And he did it, you know, and they haven't won it yet. But when we were there, they had three NCAA champions. And, wow. and then I saw, like, I mean, a guy that graduated with me the same year was Anthony Robles. I mean, that story... I mean, Ryan, you know that story is basically he's coming on a guy Monday. With... No way. Yeah, he's coming on the podcast Monday. Yeah, I cannot wait, dude. Shout out to Anthony. So um, I'll definitely listen. But he here's a kid who, you know. Doesn't have a leg. No one would think <laughs> he doesn't have a leg. No one would think that's an advantage. You read his book. He grew up, didn't, you know, had a, had a tougher childhood. Um, turned a weakness. You know, everyone thought Cornell wrestling was it was a weakness and they rob turned into a strength like anthony had one leg and and i just laugh at people that say it's an advantage it's like well no kidding it's become an advantage but because he's huge right he means he's like 170 pound looking guy wrestling 125 right but it was never a perceived strength for him he turned it into a strength um because he persevered through the whole thing and you know when i started in this business one of the funny things is we we manage money for high net worth people. And, um, I mean, I look really young for my age and I'm only 31. So most people in our business are a lot older mm-hmm. and I was self-conscious for a couple of years right away, especially because I looked so young. And what I ended up doing was I was able to kind of turn that, what I perceived as a disadvantage into an advantage because now that's kind of one of my leading things is I'm, I'm really just in the prime of my career where most people that are working with the financial advisor, the financial advisor will be retire, retiring kind of at the same age as the client, you know? So I kind of, I say that was one thing I, I took away from wrestling and put into business is taking something that seems like a weakness. Maybe it bothers you. Maybe you're self-conscious about it and you can actually turn that around and make it a strength if you work at it hard enough. And if you have the patience, like I think there's a patience that comes into this. It's like, it's a long journey and you got to be ready for that journey. And certainly that's the case with you. And man, mm-hmm. I, I just, I could not be more fired up right now. You're getting me excited thinking about all these, all all right. these great guys in <laughs> wrestling, man. And I just want to thank you for coming on, brother. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it, man. All right, brother. Take care. Yeah. Good luck. Bye-bye. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Give us a review, give us a rating, and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life.